I have this pretty strong conviction that uh, the enemy exists and that he doesn't want the kingdom to advance and he doesn't want us to hear from God. And I think that when technology fails or something like that happens, that sometimes that's just technology being technology. And I think that other times when technology fails and something happens, it is the work of the enemy to distract me and you from what God wants to do today. So with that in mind, I want to just take a minute and collect my thoughts in prayer before I try to give them to you. Would you unite your heart with me in prayer? Father in heaven, it has been a chaotic uh, past 20 minutes. We are so thankful that we're able to get online and help the people who can't be with us to be with us. We give you praise for that. We would ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be on us now, that you would put the enemy in his place, in Jesus' name. We would pray, Father, that that which we hear today would not be just Steve Shields' opinions, but it would be what your Spirit would like to communicate to our spirits, and that we would be able to be attentive, hearing from you. We're so thankful for the kind of God you are. We're so thankful that we don't come here to go through some kind of religious motion. We don't come here to get in our hour and 15 minutes of worship. That we don't come here just to see friends, although we love seeing friends. But we come here because we seek you. We come here to encounter you. Oh God, make it so. May we have already encountered you through the worship. So fortunate we are, so blessed we are to have men and women who prepare in advance and lead our hearts to your heart in worship. May we have already encountered you through the prayer time. Thank you for Eric. I love to hear him pray. And as his heart connects with yours, all our hearts connect with you in prayer. I thank you for your word, God. I pray you would use it to speak to us, that we would be blessed, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Now I'm ready to speak to you. If you'd like to, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. There's a Bible app event for this. I love the Bible app. I love what it gives to us, the ability to have the scripture wherever we are, whenever we are. I love how it lets us make those live events so you can follow along. I love how it helps you to take the word of God and put it in your heart. There's a passage of scripture about that, isn't there? My, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You're probably familiar with that. Your heart. You know, have you heard this expression about the longest 18, I'm sorry, the longest distance in all the world is only 18 inches? Have you heard that? The longest distance in the world is 18 inches. Who has heard that sentence before? Well, one, two, three, four, about half a dozen of us, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. The longest distance in all the world is 18 inches. It's actually the distance between my head and my heart. Because quite frequently, I realize there's things in my head that I know to be true, but my heart is in a state of panic because it hasn't made that connection yet. There are things in my head that I know to be true that my heart has not absorbed, and now I'm grieving in a way that is not healthy for me. There are things in my head that I know to be true, but my heart is not willing to submit to them, and so I cause grief for myself. 
in my life. Thinking people want to close that distance for a number of reasons. The ones I just said. Another reason that thinking people want to close that distance between their head and their heart is because it is painful feeling that you're living life only from your head and not living it from your heart. A life lived only from my head feels mathematical. It feels computerized. It feels kind of barren. It feels dry. It feels dusty. It feels dead. And so we want to close the distance between our head and our heart to eliminate that 18 inches. I I feel like if people don't connect that 18 inches, if they don't work to connect the head and the heart, they pay a price. I mean, do you ever wonder if maybe great leaders in Christian faith who have fallen, do you ever wonder that maybe their head got disconnected from their heart? I mean, I think of Christian authors that I've admired who went astray. I think of pastors that I've known personally and pastors I've known from a distance. I think of Christian musicians who have led thousands in worships in arenas or wherever, even in their own church, and and then... (laughs) They seem to have lost their way. And as I ponder this kind of thing, I realize it's really not that those people had an intellectual crisis that led them away from Jesus. There wasn't some kind of crisis of knowledge in their faith. It wasn't that science talked them out of believing in Jesus. Their brains didn't rebel. It's almost always a matter of the heart. Maybe their heart had become polluted with pride. And they felt like, hey, you know what? I think I got this Christianity thing down. And they didn't feel need to walk closely to Jesus. And so their devotion to worship, their devotion to hearing the word and reading the word, and their devotion to prayer, it kind of fell away. I don't know. Maybe their heart was distracted by things of this world, bad things, or even good things, having a good time, enjoying their hard-earned money, and being somebody. And when their heart was distracted, it became a little bit derailed. It could be that their heart kind of became less devoted to God and more devoted to themselves, to being popular, to being somebody, and they compromised. Whatever the specifics are or were, you know that their heart failed them. Now, Jesus, in our passage today, Matthew chapter 15, talks about the heart and I just want to read you 11 verses from this, and we'll come back to it and give it a little more context at the end of the message. Follow along as I begin to read at verse 10. It says, Jesus crawled the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both of them will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to you. Are you so dull? Jesus asked him. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. 
These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, which is what they were upset about, eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's the heart. The Bible says so countless times. I want to have a heart for God personally. And I want to know God in my head and to move that knowledge all the way down 18 inches into my heart. And I want that for people that I love. I want my children to have a heart for God. I want you to have a heart for God. I am perfectly in tune, it seems, with Third John in the only chapter there is, chapter 1, verse 4, where he says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Sure, we want our children to be healthy. We want them to do well in school. We want them to have confidence. We would like them to be normal. We, we want our children to be athletic, to be happy. We want our children to find a mate, to have a family. But what I want most for everyone I know, my children, you, everyone, is that they would have a heart for God. And I would trade everything on that list for my own children, for my own flesh and blood, for you, for me. I would trade everything on that list for having a heart for God. That's what I want. And by the way, that's what God wants too. And we might ask the question, when you talk about the heart, what are you talking about there? And the Bible uses a couple different words to speak of the heart. A couple of them are from the Old Testament. I am not an Old Testament Hebrew scholar, but I'm going to give this a go in pronouncing one of the words in Hebrew that is translated heart in the English Bibles. That word is keoyah. Keoyah. It sounds romantic, doesn't it? I tried it out on Laurel this week. I was sitting at my computer. She was sitting at hers. She was working on a Bible study. And I said, hey, Laurel. I love you with all my kial yeah. I'm not sure that those words actually touched her kial yeah. I don't know. English Bibles usually translate that word love, but literally <laughs> that Hebrew word means kidneys. Let's think about that for a minute, shall we? So I tried, I regrouped, I went back again. I thought she didn't get the kial yeah. I'll give her the other one. I said, hey, Laurel, I want you to know I love you with both my kidneys. I just want to tell you, that swept her off her feet. <laughs> Not even a little bit, right? A quick count shows that that kial yah is translated heart maybe half a dozen times in the Hebrew scripture. The one that's translated over 500 times is leb, and it literally means the organ in your chest that's pumping your blood, my lead. The Greek word for heart, and you're going to know it right away as soon as I say it, it's cardia, cardia like cardiac arrest or cardiologist or cardiology. And so we know, okay, so those are the words. But what in the world does it mean? What does it mean when the scripture talks about my heart? What, what does it mean when I say, Laurel, I love you with all my heart? What does it mean when scripture commands us to love God with all our heart? This week I came across a document. It was written by a professor at California State University in Northbridge, uh, California, he was trying to discredit the Bible in his essay that he was writing, and he was doing it. One of his arguments was this. The Bible is unreliable because it says to love with your heart, and we know today that the ancients felt like the heart was the place that decided whether to love or not, but we know now that it's the gray matter in your head, that it's your brain that helps you to love. Modern-day science has proven this. The Bible is simply unreliable. And I'm guessing that when that professor tucks his kids in at night, he says... Hey, I want you to know, 
I love you with all my brain. It doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? You and I know, and the scripture knows, that, that the organ in our chest doesn't really do the loving. So why, then, does the Bible say love God with all your heart? And I think the answer is connected to a couple things. One is that we think of the heart as the center of our life. It doesn't matter if it's a coach in football or if it's a vocal coach. They will say the same words. They'll say, put your heart into it. Put your heart into it. And and what they mean there is make this performance, whether it's behind a microphone or under a football helmet, make this performance come from the very core of your being. Put your heart into it. Don't do this lazily. Don't do it mathematically. Don't do it dryly. Do it passionately. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And in some regards, and this is really weird to me, we regard our brain as unreliable. For example, you've said this before. You know, I really thought that I did that, but I guess it was all in my head. I really thought that she said that, but I guess I was imagining it. Whereas if someone says to you, I know I did that, deep in my heart, I know I did that, that adds a little volume to it. Strangely enough, it adds some credibility to it. And as dangerous as <laughs> and as dangerous as we know <laughs> that it might be, you still hear people saying, you just need to follow your heart on this one. We know that the heart is important. So maybe we need to look into what the Bible actually says about the heart. And some of this will be familiar to you, and you might think, wow, Pastor Steve's getting old, he's repeating himself. Ask anyone who knows me, I've been repeating myself for the past 50 years, Okay? But I repeat myself on this because it is just something we constantly need to be aware of. The Bible tells us that the heart is tricky. Whoa, that was pretty tricky. God's speaking in Jeremiah 17, 9, and he says those words you're probably somewhat familiar with. The heart is deceitful above things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You've got to love the King James. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But let me tell you something. That does not mean that everything that is in your heart and everything that comes out of your heart is untrustworthy, particularly if you're redeemed. I have heard people through the years say, well, you know, I just can't trust, can't trust myself. Man, you need to learn to trust your heart and to sift through what is there in order to know what God might be saying to you. And I think I'll unfold that for you more clearly as time goes on this morning. It doesn't mean that everything in your heart is evil just because he says the heart is desperately wicked. Because in the very next verse, he says, God examines the heart. And I get the picture of God kind of sifting through and culling through the stuff that's in the heart to distinguish that which is good from that which is bad because there's some things that are good in your heart and your heart can tell you some things that are important. Even, now listen to this, because this is just really, really hard for me to communicate to you. Even the things that are in your heart that you wish weren't there, tell you about yourself. And it's important that you listen to what your heart is telling you. Let me try to explain this. I love technology, except for this morning. I still love technology. And I love the information that technology gives me. I have a stream of data coming into my life that just 50 years ago would be unimaginable. I went and gave blood this week. I had a Bluetooth in my ear. Why? Because there's nothing to do when you're laying on your back for that double red blood. So I'm listening to something on my phone. You have it too. 
You have music in your car. It comes from the stream. You have books. I have books that I am reading. I have books that I'm reading on this tablet you see here, books that I'm reading on my telephone that's in my back pocket. I have books that I read on my desktop. I have books that I read on my Kindle. And I even have, have books that are environmentally unsafe. They're made with paper. I even have those books. I have podcasts when I get up in the morning. I had my phone set so that it played the alarm, and then it said, good morning, and welcome to BBC News. And I got the news. I'm not even conscious yet, but it's coming out. I have podcasts when I go to bed at night. I have sermons on YouTube. You get the point, right? I got all this stuff streaming into me, and I value that. I really value that. But I find it leaves little space in my crowded, crowded technological mind for something called quietness. I'm not just talking about quietness psychologically. You need time for your brain to shut down. And some of us, our brain shuts down more than it's on, right? Hmm. I'm talking about a different I just want to know why Josh laughed back there. I'm talking about a quietness that involves looking into your heart. A quietness that involves examining yourself. If I'm not careful, I could spend every conscious moment ingesting information, listening to that audiobook while I'm cutting the grass and reading while I'm in the doctor's office waiting for the appointment and tuning something new in when I'm driving my car. And those can be good habits because they can help me, but they don't leave quietness in my life. So I tried something this summer. I didn't tell anyone about it. I started it in May. It's when I'm cutting the grass. I have headphones, noise-canceling headphones, and I hook them up to my phone, and I listen to audiobooks when I cut the grass or sermons or something like that. And this May, I said, I'm going to leave the audiobook on the kitchen table. I just left my phone right there. And I got out on the lawnmower, and I just rode around, and there was silence with the exception of the noise of the mower beneath me, which is the equivalent of silence in one respect. And, and while I was doing that, I found that it helped me understand my heart. Because I began to ask myself, what are the things that my mind thinks about when there's no input coming in? Do you understand that? If I find when I'm mowing the lawn that I just have these thoughts of jealousy, it just makes me so mad that he has that car and I have this one. That's my heart. It's speaking to me. It's telling me something's wrong with me. If I find my heart obsessing about something going on in ministry or the state of our building or the roof that might be leaking or or if I find it obsessing about some problem that you're having or an illness that's in your family because I love you or if I find myself obsessing about that, that's my heart speaking to me in that silence of the drone of the mower beneath me. And my heart is saying, you need to do something about that. If I find my heart rejoicing, wow, Sunday was a great day. It was so cool to see all those people. What a great Sunday that was. Then I know what the state of my heart is. And in all three of those circumstances, if I find thoughts of jealousy or anger or bitterness there, I pray. If I find my heart obsessing about someone's health or ministry or my own life, I pray. If I find myself rejoicing, I pray. I've come to believe just in a short time that I've been doing this that 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 is a beautiful way to understand your heart. The heart is tricky. And you really need to be intentional about, your, about understanding it. Here's something else the Bible tells us about the heart. The tending to your heart is probably the most important thing you can do. Now, I know what you're thinking. The most important thing, really, Pastor Steve, 
Do you like to use hyperbole? Are you exaggerating a little bit there? I don't know. You tell me. Look at the screen. God speaking in Proverbs 4.23. He says, above all else. You know what those three words mean? They mean above all else. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. And then if you read the verse that follows, the very next verse, verse 24, he says, so watch your mouth. Guard your mouth. It says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. You want to guard your heart? Then guard your words. And the very next verse, 25, he says, guard your vision. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You want to guard your heart? Then guard your eyes from distraction. I got to tell you, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. In verse 26, he says to be intentional about your decision-making. He says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. You want to guard your heart? Don't let life just happen. Take a look intentionally about where am I? Where is it that God wants me to be? What would be the path to get from here to there? Be intentional. In verse 27, he says, avoid evil. Don't let your feet, I'm sorry, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. You want to guard your heart? Then walk straight. I mean, he tells you how to do these things above all else. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Hmm. Jesus reiterates this idea when he says that a clean heart is actually connected with being close to God. I told you we'd come back and kind of think about what was happening in Matthew 15, where he explains to his disciples that it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean, not what goes into the person. What's happening there in Matthew 15 is the Jesus adversaries, in their jealousy, are are picking on his disciples. They're criticizing Jesus' disciples because they don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, your mom told you to wash your hands before you eat, but it wasn't a religious thing. It was a hygiene thing. But this is not a hygiene thing. And the way you know this is not a hygiene thing, it's going to be 1,500 or 1,600 years later before humankind realizes that there are germs and bacteria and you ought to wash your hand before you eat. That's unbelievable, isn't it? i got to wonder how we lasted this long, right? Yeah. So these religious leaders aren't saying they're going to get sick. They need to wash their hands. Here's what they're saying. They've made this rule, this new religious rule that they put into the system and said, you must wash your hands ceremonially before you eat. And they were skipping that, and that made them angry. And Jesus replied, the thing that offended them was what he said in verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 15. I'll put verse 8 on the screen. These people honor me with their lips, with their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. Wow. Think about those words for a minute. They worship me in vain. Their worship is useless because their heart is not near me. Their heart is not clean. It is imperative that you tend to your heart. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, number one, (laughs) Actually, not number one, number everything. Give your heart to God. Give your heart to God. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm pretty sure I did that, Pastor Steve. I did that years ago. I remember I was at Happy Camp, and I gave my heart to God. I remember it was Bible school. I gave my heart to Jesus. I was sitting in that Sunday school class. I gave my heart to Jesus. That guy did that, uh, that altar call like he was Billy Graham, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Good, good. I will say yay and amen to all those things. Does he still have it? That's a pointed question, isn't it? I mean, 
I'm not saying that he does not hold you in the palm of his hand. Whoever comes to him, I will never cast out, he says. And he says, no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I'm not talking about that question at all. I'm just asking, does Jesus have your heart today? Does he have your heart? Or have you taken it back? Have you given your heart a listen at all? I mean, have you spent time in quietness and paid attention to those thoughts that just won't go away? Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't stop thinking about this. It's just always on my mind. Why am I always thinking about that? Have you considered the source of what it is that keeps you up at night? I just can't sleep because I couldn't stop thinking about, that's your heart, that's your heart that's doing that. And you might want to say, yeah, I couldn't sleep because of what's going on out there. But I want to tell you, it's what's going on in here that keeps me awake at night. Have you taken an inventory of what is coming out of your mouth? Because Jesus says in Matthew 15, that's what tells you what's in your heart. And are those things coming out? Do they resemble the list in Colossians 3.8? But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage. Don't just read those real quick. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. You can see those things and you can say, yeah, I still, uh, I still have thoughts that just won't go away and I, there are things that are keeping me up at night and frankly, the stuff coming out of me isn't what it should be. And you can get to a point And I really want to warn you about this. You know those old preachers that say, beloved, I want to warn you about this. I think I'm becoming that guy. I really want to warn you about this, beloved. You can look at those things and you can hear and see the state of your heart and you can throw up your hands and say, I'm never going to get it together. Oh, beloved, (laughs) don't allow that to happen to you. Do not despair. Do not give up. Because God is not asking you to give him a perfect heart. God is asking you to give him a genuine heart. That's what he wants. Not a perfect one. I feel like in my life I've seen too many individuals who felt like I need to fix up my heart and then I'll give it to God. And then they do that. They go through all the motions they can think of to get their heart squared away. And they go to him and they say, here, here, God, here's, here's my heart, but it's really a counterfeit because their real heart is still a train wreck and it's hidden in the recesses of their being. I, I don't, I don't have a perfect heart. So I can't give God a perfect heart and he doesn't want one. He wants a real heart. You can see this in scripture again and again. David speaks of it in Psalm 51, one of the more well-known Psalms. In in verse 7, he's talking to God in prayer. He says, a sacrifice, O God, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, O God, will not despise. So David doesn't say, "Uh, okay, God, here you go. I think I got my heart all fixed up here. There was a lot of things I needed to clean up and get together and patch together. I think I got it right, and I'd like to give that to you now. Here's what David said. He says, here's my heart. There are parts of it that are a mess. I'm humiliated, broken, and incredibly regretful. And basically, I'm just contrite. I can't believe this is my heart. Would you please take it? 
Would you please take it? And God takes it. That's what he means when he says, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you won't despise. God doesn't look at that and say, what is this you're bringing me? God looks and says, that's exactly what I want. And God takes it. And if you're looking for a healthy heart, (laughs) give God the heart you have, as is. And when you give God your heart, you begin to understand that only God can clean your heart. Only God can make it pure. I don't have the power to make my heart clean. Neither do you. It's too tricky. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. But God can make it pure. In that same psalm, in verse 10 of Psalm 51, as David's praying, he says to God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David had no ability to purify his own heart. But he knows that God does. Oh, and by the way, David's heart was deeply polluted. I mean, I don't care how damaged you think your heart is. I don't care how much you feel like giving up because you're never going to get it together. I don't care how bad you think your secret sin is. It's bad. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying I think David... He's probably got all of us trumped here. Because after all, he's praying this prayer after he has been called out by Nathan the prophet for having committed adultery and murder. That's a pretty damaged heart you got there, David. (laughs) Yeah. But David prays in faith because he knows two things. That God wants to make him clean and God can make him clean. And so he brings that heart to God. And God cleans it. And by the way, the reason to bring your heart to God, the reason to give him your genuine heart and allow him to clean it, isn't so that you can take it and put it up on the shelf and say, I got to tell you, that God, he does a good job cleaning hearts. Look how clean mine is. That's not it at all. The reason he wants to clean your heart is so that your heart can be touched by his heart. Because his heart is always touched by your heart. He loves you deeply, and he cares deeply about you. When Christ uh, rose from the dead, well, let me, let me advance my slide. God's asking for a genuine heart. Only God can make your heart pure, and when he does, that's when he will begin to speak to your heart. When Christ rose from the dead, a couple of his disciples were going to Emmaus, If they started in Jerusalem, the scholars tell us that would be about a seven-mile walk. It's like walking from here to Clearfield, this side of Clearfield, right? They're walking down this road, and uh, Jesus, sometimes I feel like Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he just had a whole lot of fun with it. Uh, Because as, as they're walking down the road, he bumps into them, probably he planned that, and, and the scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So it's like they didn't know it was Jesus, but it was Jesus. You ever wanted to be the fly on the wall? That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's coming in. And he's just listening to him talking. They're talking about what's going on. He says, what are you guys talking about? And I said, where have you been? You lived under a rock? You don't know what's going on in the past few days? This Jesus was crucified? The tomb's empty? And then Jesus begins to speak to him, but he still hasn't revealed who he is. And he says, the scripture says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then in the end, 
when he gets right to the end, he let their eyes be opened so they could see that was Jesus. Now listen. Listen to what they said after he left them. They said this. They asked each other, were our hearts, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? <laughs> our hearts were burning when Jesus talked to us. They didn't say their brain was burning. I got to tell you, if you've ever, I studied engineering at the University of Pittsburgh, and if you've ever done matrix theory and differential equations, your brain burns when you're doing that stuff, right? But they didn't say their brain was burning. You, you don't hear them say, you know, when he was talking, I got to thinking. Do you? They didn't say that. None of them, neither of them said, you know, I started putting two and two together, and I figured this out. No. It was their hearts that were burning. It was their hearts he was talking to because he always talks to the heart, to the whole of your being. It seems that the language of Christ is the language of the heart. And if you give your heart to Christ, he will speak to it. <laughs> Let me ask you some questions. Personal questions. Bob, this is where I moved from preaching to meddling. <laughs> Don't answer these out loud. What is the distance from your head to your heart? Do you find that it's further than it once was? Do you feel like I used to be walking closely with Jesus, but something has happened that I have allowed that, that intimacy to fade, and I am now kind of dealing with a, a distant relationship? Do you find that 18 inches kind of annoying? Have you noticed how tricky your heart can be? Have you noticed that unless you are attentive to it, that your heart will kind of give you the impression, yeah, everything's okay. You're doing all right. Don't worry. Everything's just fine. It's desperately wicked, you know. It's deceitful. It's tricky. Does it make you feel like Things are better than they should be. What your heart might be doing is crying out for you to listen to it. What your heart might be doing is what your car's doing when you hear that knock under the engine hood. I was driving down to see Esther. What's your name again? Laurel. That's the woman I'm married to. <laughs> I was driving down to see Laurel in Asbury, Kentucky. I had a 77 Dodge Diplomat with a 318. I'm hauling tail down there, just going as fast as anybody else on the highway would go. And I hear this really loud noise. I think, man, it sounds like there's a threshing machine around me. And then the oil light came on. And the heart of the vehicle was in trouble and it was crying out. I think I paid like $4 a quart for oil. It took about eight to get me to Wilmore. Right? Had a bad oil leak. Is the heart of your vehicle crying out to you? Is it saying things are just not right? Are you listening to what your heart is saying? Are you evaluating that? Are you crying out to God and saying, God, help me understand my heart because I don't like this 18 inches. I hate this 18 inches and I really want the closeness with you that I once have. Are you tending above all else to your heart? Are you doing that? And are you taking it to God? 
and asking him to purify it. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Do it. Do it. God is asking, not for a perfect heart. He's asking for a genuine heart. He's not asking you for a clean heart. He will clean your heart when you give it to him. And he does not clean your heart so that it can be a trophy. He cleans your heart so you can have intimacy with him. Is that what you want? So back in the old days, (laughs) preachers used to do what they called altar calls. Do you remember that? A lot of preachers still do them. It wasn't just the old days. And all recalls a time when they would say, if God has spoken to your heart and you want to talk to him about this, let me give you a way to put some wheels on that thought. Why don't you come on down to the altar and just kneel here and pray? I'm not going to do that kind of all recall. But I'm going to allow you the opportunity to put some wheels on what you're thinking. What I'm going to do in a moment, not now, in a moment, is I'm going to say, if you feel a desire to eliminate those 18 inches and to give your heart to Christ anew and allow him to clean it so you can walk with him, then just as a sign to him, I would like you to stand. Not everybody to stand, but just you and the other people who feel the same thing. Let me define the parameters again. If you feel like those 18 inches are incredibly annoying and you're sick and tired of it, and you would like to give your heart to God anew so that he can clean it, and you would like to hear from him, then right now, would you please stand? I stand with you. Do you understand that sentence? I stand with you. I want to pray with you. So if it was an altar call, maybe an elder or someone would come and pray with you. I want to pray with you just as though I'm beside you. I am not beside you. Christ is. So as you unite your heart in prayer, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we unite our hearts together in prayer. We have heard the roar in the silence of our heart. We are not just annoyed with 18 inches, we're disgusted by it. We long for closeness with you where we hear your voice. Father in heaven, have mercy on us. We give you our heart. Take it if you will. We know you will. It is a broken and contrite heart. We place it in your hands. We ask you to purify it. We ask you to clean it. We ask you to make it whole. We trust you to do this. We ask you to keep it. (laughs) We look to hear from you, to walk with you and talk with you. We trust you to maintain this closeness with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that as we might try to pull that heart back and to restore that 18 inches, Spirit of God, please speak to us. We want to listen. As we go from here, we want to go 
as men and women, men and women who are walking close to you. You have our heart. In Christ's name, amen.